Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Where are you from? Where do you call home? Where do you live? These are common questions that we ask. They are safe conversational openers. Almost everybody enjoys talking about their home. Well, when I was a kid, or the neighborhood I grew up was, and home is more than a place. It's an association of life events and life passages. Home. It's a place of safety and comfort. Home. It teaches us who we are. Home. It gives us our values and our motivations. Why then does Jesus challenge that? Turn it upside down. Cut it loose. Why does He take our home away? That's what He does in this prayer from John chapter 17. Next Sunday is the seventh Sunday of Easter. It comes between Ascension Day, which is next Thursday, and ten days from now, which is the feet day of Pentecost. Jesus ascends into heaven to fulfill two ministries. To rule over us, that is to say, to sit at God's right hand, ruling over creation. And to pray for us, to enter into the Holy of Holies. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that after the Last Supper, Jesus went with His disciples to pray in the garden. But they give us only a snippet of that prayer. John, on the other hand, uses an entire chapter to record that prayer. It is the 26 verses of John chapter 17. And it reveals more about the prayer life of Jesus than all the rest of the Gospels combined. We might properly call this chapter, John 17, the real Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer might more properly be called the Disciples' Prayer. And there, at the center of it, are these disturbing words. I'm reading verses 17 and 16. Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That is the disturbing and dangerous paradox in which we are invited by this prayer to live. In the world, but not of this world. The Christian is the person who lives balanced between these two truths. What do I mean by balanced? Martin Luther wonderfully said, The church is like a drunk going home from the taverns Saturday night on a donkey. And I just got to pause and say, don't you love Martin Luther? Nobody went home bored from church after a sermon by Martin Luther. He had the right analogies. The church is like a drunk going home from the tavern Saturday night on his donkey. First he staggers along and then falls off to the one side. Then he clambers back on, staggers along the way, and then falls off on the other side. And that is what the church does. It is unable to live the balance of Jesus' prayer in the world, but not of the world. Now please note here that there are two ways to get this wrong. First, to be in the world and of the world. Or the other way, not in this world and not 
of this world. Let's look at these two wrong options. The first way to get it wrong is to be not in this world and not of this world. This is the Anabaptist tradition. Uh, contemporary examples are people like the Amish, strict Mennonites, and Hutterites. They have only Christian friends. They attend only Christian schools. They shop only with Christian merchants. They read only Christian literature. They simply avoid the non-Christian world by not engaging the non-Christian world. They seek the exclusive protection of the religious club, the holy huddle. We few, we happy few. But Jesus does not call us to that. He prays in this prayer that we would be in the world. The second way to get this wrong is to be in the world and of this world. Golly, I don't want anyone to think I'm weird or a spiritual snob or I want to look like everyone else and talk like everyone else and dress like everyone else and oops, I thereby start thinking like everyone else and acting like everyone else. I've lost my Christian distinctives. <coughs> Once upon a time in a church where I served in a galaxy far away and long ago, uh, I had a family, and they were Christian folk. They went to Sunday school. He was on the vestry. She was altar guild in Sunday school and attended Bible study. But, and the kids were both acolytes. But when the boy was in high school, they had a hockey team with high school. And so the only time they could get use of the uh, uh, arena where they could skate was on Sunday morning. And she came to me and she said, Father Brad, you know, my boy is on the hockey team and, and, and you think he should be on the hockey team? I said, well, I guess he does. I mean, it's natural that all boys have sports. I go, well, it is natural. Well, the only time they can practice is Sunday morning, so he will no longer be able to be an acolyte. And he won't attend Sunday school. And because she was the mom driving him, she had to quit as being a Sunday school teacher and to step back from being on the altar guild. And you know what happened? They just slipped away. They were very much of the world until eventually they were so much of the world they ceased to be of the church, of the kingdom. People come up to And she said to me at one time, you think we can be good Christians and not go to church on Sunday sometimes. Now, I was young and foolish in those days, and I am a appalling Christian. I'm not a legalist. You know, I'm not keeping rules and wagging my fingers at people. So I said, well, um, uh, golly, gee, um, uh, I suppose so. Sure. I mean, yeah, why not? You don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. And of course, they just slipped away. Now, when somebody comes up to me today and says, do I have to go to church in order to be a Christian? I said, yes, absolutely. Otherwise, you'll go to hell. <laughs> now, that's not true either, but it's closer to the truth than the other is closer to the truth. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not laying down a law, but it's discovering a golden mean that we are to be of, not this world, but of what? Of another place. Of another community. What is Jesus saying? He's asking you in this question when He prays to be not of this world. He's saying, where are you from? 
Where is your home? If you are not of this world, where are you of? What are your dreams? What are your influences? Where is your security? Where is your place of belonging? Where do you draw your values from? What home defines your identity? Now, how do we walk this golden mean between in the world, but not of the world? And that's easy. It's by remembering who we are. And by recalling where our true home is. Let's pause and just think about that for a moment. Where is your true home? I don't mean Nixa. I don't mean Wichita. I don't mean Republic. Where is your true home? That's what St. Paul is pleading for in this epistle reading we just had. He says, chapter 3, I think it is, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Let me repeat that. Our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, we have a dual citizenship. We're, we're Missourians. We're Springfieldians. Is that a word? I don't know. Okay, we're here. But we also have a dual citizenship in heaven. That, why is that a challenging picture to the Christians living in Philippi? It's because it's grounded in the logic of the founding of Philippi. The city was founded as a colony to Rome. Now, way back when, in the 4th century B.C., it was founded by Philip of Macedon, who very modestly named it after himself, Philippi. Uh, it was destroyed once by an earthquake. It was destroyed another time uh, in a great social upheaval and was simply abandoned. And then Julius Caesar came back in the first century B.C. and he refounded Philippi as a Roman colony. Now think your geography here. Rome's over here. Greece is over here. So how could it be a Roman colony? Because he settled people in it who were Roman citizens. Their emotional DNA was Roman. Yes, they would be in Greece, and so they would dress in a Hellenic fashion, they would eat Hellenic food, they would talk with a Hellenic accent, but their loyalty was to Rome. And that was pretty smart. And think about it, the most famous citizen of, of Philippi is the Philippian jailer. All jailers in the ancient world were retired uh, military, usually centurion. So this was your retirement. You were a jailer. But you know what? This guy's loyal to Rome. And he's saying to the Philippian Christians, your citizenship is in heaven. In other words, just as Philippi is a Roman colony in Greece, but Roman loyal to Rome, so you Christians are a Christian colony on planet Earth. You're living in a strange place. But your loyalty is to the kingdom of heaven. We have a dual citizenship. Listen to the epistle reading for Easter Day we just had a few weeks ago. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, we're supposed to be nostalgic for home. We're supposed to be thinking about home. We're supposed to be desiring home. There's a colic that says, set your minds and your hearts 
on things above. Our minds, our understanding on things above, that's where our worldview is shaped and committed, but also our hearts, our affections on things ahead. Paul, as well as Jesus, is setting before us two realms. One is called the world, the other is called the kingdom. And the simple question is, fundamentally and centrally, which is your home? Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. There can't be a dual spiritual citizenship. There can't be a dual citizenship in spiritual matters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Ultimately, your loyalty comes down to one place or the other. To belong to His kingdom. To pray as we do every day, Thy kingdom come, is to be a citizen of His realm. It is to affirm that the claims of that realm are primary and definitive. The responsibility of that citizenship is more pressing. The duties of that citizenship are more urgent. The rights of that citizenship are unshakable. The privileges of that citizenship, glorious freedom, and the inheritance of that citizenship, splendid beyond knowing, and it can't be taken away. So in the claims of that kingdom of God, conflict with the kingdom's claims of the kingdom of this world, you simply discard the world's claims with a shrug. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. This is the meaning of the second colleague for the Feast of Ascension that all of you are going to be here Thursday night to celebrate. Uh-uh. Grant, we beseech you, Almighty God, that as we believe your only Son, our Lord, to have ascended into heaven, here's the prayer, so may our hearts and minds thither ascend. May our hearts, our affections be in heaven. May our minds, our worldview, our understanding be in heaven. The essence of that prayer is that we're being shaped by our primary citizenship There's two citizenships there. You do live in this world. And if you are of this world, Satan, the father of lies, is lying to you all the time. Let's go back to Jesus' prayer. I think I'm in verse 20, uh, John 17, 20. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. I believe there is an evil one. And he is lying to us all the time. Buy this toothpaste and people will be dazzled by your beautiful smile. Drive this car and people will stop on the street and watch you go down the way. Buy this sexy clothing and people will be attractive to you, etc., etc. Such a person is of this world. But we are not of this world. And we do not hear or tend to the lies of Satan. Living in a balanced goal to mean is hard. Perhaps it gets easier. But it's beautiful and it's possible. It comes from remembering and celebrating our dual citizenship with the primary citizenship in heaven. You're doing that today. You're doing that right now. Did you notice our hymns? All four of them are about home. You know, some of those beautiful songs overwritten are songs about home. And we have four songs here. Ye holy angels bright, 
uh, Richard Baxter, one of my, my second favorite theologian, his wife died and he wrote this hymn for her funeral. And what is it? It's a celebration of heaven. Or, I love thy kingdom, Lord, we just sang as the gradual. I had this as the gradual for my first Sunday here. And it talks about the church, but eventually in the last verse, it transposes to recognize it. But the church is simply the outpost or the colony of heaven here. Or the communion hymn by Peter Abelard, Jerusalem, my happy home. And it asks the plaintive question, when will I come to thee? We want to go to heaven. Shouldn't we? I do. I mean, I'm ready to go. I'm not ready to leave, but I'm ready to go. And the last one, the recessional hymn, ye watchers and ye holy ones, talking to the angels and the cherubim and seraphim and to the saints in heaven. And boy, we're going to be with you one day. We do this with our music. And so we come here to church to reaffirm our primary citizenship. And it's a citizenship which is about our home. We need to know where we're from. A wonderful story told, golly, over a century ago now, about a fellow who was coming back from Africa. He had served three-plus decades as a missionary. He had been moderately successful. He'd established two churches. They'd each grown moderately. He'd left a small medical station there. It wasn't even a hospital. And it was doing okay. And now after 30 Five years or so of ministry, he was coming back to America. He was in steerage class. He couldn't afford anything else. On that same transatlantic boat was Theodore Roosevelt, who everybody knew would be running for president. He'd been in Africa on a wild game shoot, and it was very photographed. He got back to New York, and you know he came down the plank, and the whole city turned out for him. And there was the governor of the state and the mayor of the city and all the financial bigwigs and they were shouting and singing and bands were playing. He was over here going down the steerage ramp and there was nobody there to greet him. Later that week he would be meeting with his missionary board. They had almost no retirement funds so they were going to set him up with a little tiny church and that could keep him alive uh, maybe for the rest of his life. And he comes down and he thought to himself, Nobody's here to see me. I mean, I've given 35 years of my life and all this man did was go and kill a bunch of animals and they're all here to celebrate him when he comes home. I come home and I get nothing. And he got very bitter and angry about that. And they went to their little cold water apartment waiting for the meeting with the missionary board. And he got more and more resentful. And his wife says, you know, you are getting to be a real pain. You need to deal with this. You know, you gave yourself to this ministry and you deal with it. I'm going to the park and to the museum. You pray about this. You get your Bible and you work it out, sir. And she left the apartment. When she came back later, he had already had dinner prepared for her. They sat down, had a wonderful meal, and she says, it seems you've worked it out. He says, I have. He says, you've come to a good resolution. You have no resentments. He said, I have no resentments. She said, what happened? He says, well, I went in and I prayed to God and I laid my heartache before him. And I said, this man comes home and everybody turns out for him and I turn out home and I don't get anything. 
And she said, and? He said, and the Lord said to me, but you're not home yet. Where is home? Let us pray. Blessed God, we pray that we may be so confident of our citizenship in heaven that we may with joy and beauty and confidence and effectiveness be in the world, but not of the world. That in all things you might be glorified and we your people might be lifted up for Jesus' sake. Amen.